Hi, Mr. Ratajski. Your first name, I think, is Jarek or, uh, or Jarek, right? Oh, so you spelled it the second time exactly as uh, I spell it, Jarek. Yeah. That's uh, and in Polish. This, and is the English, is there is an Eng English equivalent of that? Not that I'm uh, uh, aware of, I don't think. So. Because I know Jarek. a guy, his name was Jared. So, like, like your name mm. with the D in the end. Uh, yes, but I think there is no absolutely no connection that's accidental between because this uh, Yarek is a short name from something uh, from the official name which is Yaroslav, ah. which is a, a Slavian name, and I, I bet you know some other Yaroslavs. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of Yaroslavs. Okay, now 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 I have it. Um, the most important question, of course, of today is, uh, what was your first computer and how you started programming? Oh, that's that's a good one. Uh, my first computer I still remember is a, that was a Commodore 64. Uh, that was just the beginning of 90s because uh, I was born in a communist Poland, so I didn't have access to computers for. Uh, we didn't have access to computers for a long time, but that was a machine that was basically bought by my parents right after we get access to stuff from West. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I started programming almost immediately. I still remember this moment where my colleague heard that my parents are going to buy this Commodore, and he went to the library to get a book about programming. By the time uh, my parents came with the computer, we already know a little bit what to do with that. Hey, cool. And uh, how you got it? From where you got it? So I... Uh, uh, so th that was a, like a gift from my parents, but they do, I was living at that time in a small city in town uh, called Gubin at the western border of Poland. And basically they went to Germany that I think still it was East Germany, but already a little bit open to the world. And there was a computer market there and they just bought it like ah, okay. computer. Oh, very good. Um, so and then you already had, you know, the manual and you immediately started programming. So the question yeah. to me, which is the most interesting question is why you, you were excited about the computer and uh, why you were excited and your colleague about programming. So, I mean, you know, right now everyone can have computer and but you no, know, no one would like to program the computer. So <laughs> what was the difference back then? Why you were so excited about computers? No, sir. I was like, I was like starving. I was like hungry for, for computers because I was like reading about them, uh, from, uh, from popular books and, uh, watching them in TV, but they were like mysterious machines really, uh, in my life till when I was like 13, I touched computer once and mm -hmm. it was just uh, touched. And that was like spectrum machine. And it was so, like mysterious things. And of course I touched few other video games, but even that, uh, like uh, that was very brief moments. So, and I was spending uh, actually hours trying to find out how those machines can work. And I, I didn't even have access to anything. Like there was no internet uh, library was like uh, full of books, which were covering other topics and closest to the computer books about electronics. And reading those books about electronics at my age, I was like trying to figure out how this thing can even work, having absolutely no, <laughs> no real description of anything. And so that was like, uh, I was just hungry. You can't even imagine, or maybe you can, 
how how much it was like for me to get a computer to really touch and to see it's it's my own I can program it. So really, in the moment it it came, I already knew a few things. What how can I start and do this? You know, hello world or something like that. And uh, which books were it or which movies you were inspired you the most? Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> and I can. Uh, Absolutely not, not even a movie. I, I don't remember any movie that uh, inspired me. At uh, that time in Poland, we had like, how to call that, like a uh, television show, which was like scientific. I don't know it's uh, because at, now, at the moment I don't really watch those, but like regular um, one hour are led by two, 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 two hosts that and they were describing amazing stuff about science and uh, quite regularly they were showing uh, computers and what can you do with them. That was basically the most inspiring. The program was called Sonda, whatever, okay. like probe. And that was, that's quite uh, still known in Poland. That was, what was, you know, one of these old style, really um, good uh, programs about popular science. Okay. So um, this is really interesting because uh, um, I had similar experience. So for me, where I had it set spectrum actually. And for me, it was a you know magical machine from different world. And uh, for, this is like you know everything was boring because it was predictable. And the only thing I knew which was not predictable, and it's like you know, Sky Open was the machine, the computer. And uh, I was inspired. I really like science fiction movies, all of them. So actually, uh, for me, science fiction was like crazy stuff. So whatever was you no know, superficial or whatever, it was like for me. Uh, the most important thing, and for unknown reasons, uh, I just you know uh, wanted uh, as associated a computer with it, and this was not that you know the different. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly that. So you could actually do whatever you liked with them, and uh, the only thing at the beginning, uh, what I didn't like about them is some something unreal. You know, you spend time typing something in, and you see output on the screen, but there is nothing to touch. But this this feeling, you know. Uh, uh, Went away, I would say, a few years later. But uh, this is this was uh, my first was static spectrum. But I really wanted to have the Commodore one, and the only thing is my my manual was in French, and I had no book before, so I I had to understand, you know, without any knowledge about French, uh, typing out typing in, you know, the the basic commands and the fun, you know, basic a bit. Yeah, actually, that's that started. I I tell you, this is even more similar because. My first uh, Commodore was bought in Germany and ha had a German Commodore handbook. I don't really even remember this, but the, the official book, it was all in German. I didn't know any German at that time. I was just trying to decode that. Yeah, German uh, would be uh, perfect for me, but French, you know, no <laughs> chance. And the cool story is, you imagine, if you know basic, um, there is a basic command called REM, REM. Yeah, yeah, and this is just uh, like Java document, right? There is nothing behind. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, and what I to... <laughs> and what I thought at the beginning that what you are doing is like ASCII art. You know, you have to program RAMs on the screen, and just you know the text will appear. And I couldn't get you know how to change the text. So, so my my idea about the computer is like more like a slideshow. You're writing lots of RAM, so you will see the you know the output on the screen like a system out print line, and then. And I just type a lots of REM and nothing happens. Like, what the hell is going on? You know, I type half an hour REM, so nothing is. What is REM? And there was a bent REM. It's like, what REM? This was remark, like, you know, the, the comment. So this was my first non nonsensical programming. So, yeah. So 
in my case, that was also masters, but uh, I had a little bit better start because really before I get the hand on the computer, my colleague had like unofficial access to the library of uh, for adults. And there were like three books there about programming. Uh, only one, really. Ad adults book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Adults, okay. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, uh, that, that's not about, you know, really. I don't, I doubt there was really a single one book, not for kids there, but just, uh, it was like a different library. And uh, for some reason we had, didn't have normally access there. But nevertheless, there was a book about basic and it was about Atari basic. And if you know the differences between dialects, you know that on the, like the third program already couldn't work on, on Commodore because of differences in the strings. At that time, I had no clue. Yeah. So basically, I was like, this was a great disappointment that uh, after the first something like Hello World, at that time, I think they, we didn't really start with Hello World. There was some something else, but I don't really remember. Yeah, exactly. But and then, and didn't even know what Hello World means. So uh, a way later, someone talked me about write Hello World. It's like, why Hello World? What the hell is Hello World? I've, why I should write Hello World? So there was no concept of Hello World. This is what I exactly remember. Because yeah, I know, was like... Yeah. It was like something I'm Commodore, I don't know, but nevertheless, I'm Atari, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I, the point is that, uh, so I had this book about Atari Basic, but it helped me to understand the concept of Basic. But basically, then I had this German handbook for yeah. for Commodore, and I had to like compose both <laughs> to get to get something working. But it went really quickly. It was like I, I do remember my like let's say first thirteen hours with computer where like was gradually learning, and the mystery was going away to the moment like two days later, I get access to the first game, like you know computer game I can load mm -hmm. from the tape, mm -hmm. and you know what uh, the my most uh, the biggest expectation was to see the code of the game. Okay, and I listed. And there was only a single line of basic there, like sys 2064. And that was like, no, 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 that's, that was like a cool game. I can, I, it doesn't matter the name, but how can it be written in a one line of basic? Mm -hmm. Because I already tried to write games, you know, my like first hours. Mm -hmm. I was imagining how, how big games I would write, but I was like, let's say it was disappointing. I was able to write something, but <laughs> nothing even close. Mm -hmm. And then they, they present me like one line of code, like something cryptic. What the hell is this? I didn't, that was like system call in assembly and the whole game was written in assembly. But at that moment, I had basically no clue about assembly. Mm -hmm. I thought everything is in basic. And I was even more surprised when I typed this sys something. And the game pop up. So then I had like this moment, oh my God, so I just have to invent different numbers and different games will pop up because accidentally <laughs> other, other game that I loaded had since 2072. Mm -hmm. But, and you know, but after you load that, it actually worked if you type it from the command line because it was like, but if you reset the computer, uh, magically this doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So I, I really spent couple of days trying to figure it out until I get the concept. I think it was even in the book that there is assembly behind. And then there was like a next starvation. I need to know assembly because at that, that time I already seen that writing anything more funny in basic is impossible because it's too slow. Yeah. Uh, in my case, I never got into assembly because, uh, yeah, in my French book, there was no assembly. And by the way, I, I 
never never heard about the sys command in my basic days but uh what i had similar experience with pick and pokes so in the book you uh. know pick and pokes were mentioned and uh and i had no idea what they are doing and tried to find out in a for loops and funky things happened you know like uh, color change and sound start playing computer crash uh. and, and i had no idea why and uh, from the French, you know, text, it was no way to find out what pick and pokes were doing. I think I spent, you know, three years investigating what, what the hell pick and pokes are about. And no one knew, actually. I was the only computer guy. Uh, so Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> similar experience. And by the way, uh, I was also doing those experiments. I was trying to guess. But let's say after like two, three months of having this, like really struggling, trying to observe and uh, find out what's going on. Sometimes well, I was able, actually this German um, German manual was not, not that bad. That was, that was really awesome. At this moment, they didn't never have these manuals anymore because who would even buy computer for programming? But nevertheless, I was, uh, there was a lot there, but with just cryptic German names, but I, I was able to figure out a lot of that. And after three months, I got the real, good book for assembly for commodore for not, not only assembly but as well for the commodore you know graphic programming audio programming which was like extending everything and uh, this whole world opened for me so fully. what was what is your first you know uh basic program a game oh i can even tell you but like, let's don't don't uh, i hope my sister will never like uh, hear this it was like i i remember i was like writing line 10 print and then my sister name, and then it's stupid. Okay. Really, like that. Then line 20. Okay, 20 is more like a second line in basic. Print, yeah. uh, print uh, just empty line, and then 30, go to 10. Yeah. So it would like fill the screen with, you know, sister name is stupid. And that was <laughs> like, wow. And that basically, that, uh, after that, I got a ban for a computer from my parents for like hour or something but nevertheless i was so successful yeah but but you could tell the parents is like you know ai something going on it's just what the computer wrote and the computer <laughs> is always right you know <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the the point of it but yeah. <laughs> no one understood the joke <laughs> yeah uh, and um so there were already two design patterns back then because what i did i numbered the lines not 10 20 30 you could do one two three four but the problem was you couldn't write anything between them yeah. <laughs> so this was your first uh, design pattern, right? And the second one, I never used go to, go to. I always used go sub, and I was proud about that because you know you you went to a line and jump back. So cool. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, were the other programs with uh, basic you wrote reasonable programs, or you switched to assembly then? No, I, I still remember like my second program. The next day, I was writing something like I wanted for years to have it, like for encoding uh, with, you know, simple uh, uh, substitutions, like typ typical uh, crypting with substitutions of messages, like, so, you know, letter A would be C or something like that, that rot. But that, that wasn't really a rot. Uh, it was something, some other substitution uh, alphabet I had. And I finally had this program that I could encrypt messages to my colleague and he would be able to, to decrypt it back. Of mm -hmm. course, very, very secure method, but it, it was like, you know, we were playing for years, designing uh, cryptographic things, of course, all that childish, but nevertheless, it was fun. And then I had computer to do that for me. That I really remember that was like a second program. Yeah, and then they were like, uh, I even remember like uh, the few days later, it was actually after decrypting something from Commodore 64, uh, how to do a music. So I was able to, 
uh, encode some music and to that music I had to put something on screen. So I did, uh, actually one of the few video games I've seen like a snake that today it would be called a snake at that time. It was like something mm-hmm. really, I, I, I was even playing that for a few moments and never get idea. This is a snake <laughs> because everything was in a text, even on that video game. And I basically copied the idea like uh, and did uh, the same thing in Commodore 64. This is by the way very interesting because we're uh, interesting recently because one of the uh, let's say people I know from the net who who is a Java developer for I don't know five years or something said that actually if he would be given a task to write a snake he wouldn't even know where to start. He can do you know enterprise programs uh, you know market, whatever, like, but to write a game like a snake is just, where even to start? And at that time, you know, after three days of learning, basically struggling, it wasn't really even that uh, complicated with just pokes, peaks, and and uh, go-to. <laughs> it was actually very easy. Yeah, uh, you're right. I, I mean, in Enterprise, this is even... It would be even impossible to write you know snakes uh, with enterprise because just backend, and the front end would be JavaScript. And in JavaScript, it would be I would say similar. You would use Canvas and you will draw something on it. Yeah, yeah. So I, in fact, I recently in order to show that I did this snake in JavaScript to see if it's more complex. So I must say that actually in JavaScript, snake was easier than in Basic. But already, that was already involving a lot of concepts, like not even a canvas, but nevertheless, uh, you, have, you have to know HTML, CSS a little bit. Okay, with canvas, that would be a different, but then event handling. And so the code was short, but the concepts that we use now are, I would, I, if I was like 13, I wouldn't understand them. Yeah, so you used for the snake on JavaScript, you used SVG or canvas or DOM? Dom. Dom. Okay, <laughs> so was... then, then it's even easier. But with Canvas, it would be faster. Might, might be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So since then, you're just building snakes on different platforms? Not really. But I have something. <laughs> not really. No, not really. But I have a similar thing that when I'm trying to evaluate something that has a user interface or sometimes doesn't even have to, I'm writing Pong game. More or less the uh, same old type of game and I'm just trying to see how would be to ride a punk in Haskell? How would that be in riding a punk in something like even a style of Java or whatever? Oh, that is actually a good approach, but uh, assuming that there is a user interface, right? Uh, yes and no. So for a few things, I like for instance with Haskell, I only wrote backend for punk and the frontend, I have even one ready frontend which uh, communicates with REST the backend and uh, basically does it so i can i can i have one uh, client and um, right now i'm using to evaluate and i just replace backends which are basically oh. rest okay that's cool so uh still so you uh you wrote the snake and what was your then you know fast pace uh your career to until first line of java so you started with the punk in basic and then what you did with the c64 or what was your you know Actually, so 
Commodore 64, I have, I would say that was like two, three years, a story where I basically was uh, trying to get a maximum from this machine, but I never get to the level of really doing cool stuff like that. How, how old because, were you? How old were you back then? Like, well, like, I was like uh, for, uh, 13, 15, uh, 16, okay. let's say. Yeah, uh, cool. Something mm-hmm. more like, like I started my, like, how is that secondary school, like Liceum in Poland called, mm-hmm. nevertheless, okay. I still started with Commodore. And then I realized my colleagues from a bigger city, but at that time, they already, some of them have better machines, like uh, IBM PC, you know, AT at that time, mostly, or yes. XT even, all, all the Amiga. And Amiga mm-hmm. was something I was, like, totally amazed of. And then I, I basically 500? Uh, convinced me. The 500, yes, and I, then I got this Amiga 500, and that was like a, again, a completely new world, new possibilities. And I basically, at that time, I was always going into assembly, and assembly for this Motorola 68K okay, was really cool. So that like uh, compared to Commodore and even later to the to the IBM PC, like the the first one assemblies that was like a very productive one. So I was going, to reading the books and writing programs. Actually, I was touching a lot. I wasn't doing games, and I wasn't doing this. What were people were doing, like going into hardware of Amiga directly? I was mostly amazed with the operating system. So I was doing system calls, but all of that from from assembly basically. And then slowly I realized my assembly. I, I write more and more macros to my assembly to make my stuff easier. And then someone told me that actually I'm reinventing a C, only the hard way. So I switched to C in some one day. I don't really, that was like a smooth change because like C looks from one perspective, like a very sophisticated macro assembly. So that, that was like this, this move. And then I started the one day, let's say university and the university still had Amiga, uh, but let's say very, very expanded. I do remember the moment that I had five megabytes of RAM at the time where people with IBM PCs had one megabyte or something like that. And I was able to do like amazing stuff on this Amiga. Nevertheless, the world was, was of PCs was, was panic. But at that time, basically at university, I learned a little bit about C++ and I was extremely, how to say that, uh, disgusted by object-oriented programming. How slow should that be? And that's et cetera. But um, that was like one moment when I bought it. And I was like for a few years a C++ programmer. Basically, all my university, I was like uh, doing C++ and more and more complex stuff. So, so you got the Amiga 500. That was your next computer, right? Yeah, that was like beginning, of, actually, at the secondary school. And then, uh, then I spent a few years with that, really. Okay. So ha- hacking assembly and then switching to C, right? To C and to C++, yeah. really, like that. And uh, which university uh, you, you were in? Which city was it? That was Wrocław, so Technical University of Wrocław. So ah, okay. uh, I'm asking uh, because I was a couple of times in Gdańsk and one in, mm-hmm. uh, once in uh, Poznan and uh, in Warsaw as well, Warsaw. And yeah, this was uh, my university tour in Poland, I think. And in Krakow, I am not sure. I was just at conference. Okay, uh, perfect. So um, you bought the so you got the five hundred and then uh, you stick with the five hundred. Yes, basically yes, but uh, I still have the, my Amiga five hundred, but it's uh, nothing like the standard Amiga five hundred you got from the shop. I really have even even today I have, I have like five megabytes of RAM. I can even extend it to nine, 
<laughs> and I have uh, I have a hard disk there and all that stuff. So it's like that was uh, expanded machine. Okay. okay. And uh, so you did C++, and uh, what was, you know, the most interesting program you wrote in these days, regardless of C, C++ or assembly? So what you did then? Still games, or what was your mission? Yeah, so, so, yeah I was mostly trying to, to build mission and sometimes, sorry, to build games and sometimes uh, programs for fun. I, I wouldn't call them real demos because I wasn't that advanced, uh, and I even wasn't, uh, that much into you know going into hardware as for the uh, operating system, but I'm mostly proud of my C++ programs I finally written for IBM PC when I switched to PC. Mm -hmm. uh, that was like uh, that was like one day I finally like started bought this PC and I started with PC and that was uh, and uh, that was after the Windows 95 actually. So I had already Windows, and I could really do more or less the same stuff I had fun with Amiga, because uh, with operating system, I was really disappointed how the, how the Windows API looks like, but nevertheless, uh, the machines were faster at that time, finally. And I'm really proud about doing, uh, let's say, uh, network programs. So mostly like one thing I did during my studies, which allowed me to finish a couple of actually courses, so like, you know, you write one program and it's, it's used in many places to show and you get a good note for that. And it was like simulation of the stock market where people were having on some machines like a clients to like, uh, let's say, buy virtual actions or whatever. And then there was like a stock market machine you were connecting to, which was giving the prices for offers, etc. So that was like, and I, for me, that was like a school how to write something bigger with Windows, with uh, network pro network programming uh, server client and all that stuff actually it, it took me some time it wasn't really that but that, that, that program really I, I really still remember i was like doing by learning unless i was learning the networks so i get this idea i will write something like that and uh, and, and so on okay cool uh, which uh was it tcp ip already or use something proper yeah so uh, basically that was tcp ip <laughs> i was like learning low level how to do that and that was, at that time even that was quite complex for instance on a, a quite complex uh, technically because right now every machine has supports tcp ip at that time i do remember like windows 95 machines you had to download a special program uh, trumpet winsock exactly to, yeah to to let it uh, do tcp ip so there were like a lot of such stupid problems but it still was possible cool and uh, which uh, CPU was it, your first PC? Was it 8086 or was it 286, remember? Um, uh, so my first CPU, actually, that was Pentium. That was, as I said, that was an era of uh, Windows something. Yeah. So that was, that was Pentium 200 megahertz, something like that. Okay. My first PC was 8086. And then the first Pentium was, I think, yeah, the Pentium was 5 something, right? And it was 75. Could it be 75 megahertz? Could, right? Yeah, yeah, they were, they were like that. Yeah, so, so, so I was the first was 75, but then I started. There were not only Intel Pentiums, there were a lot of competition, I remember. So I had yes. AMDs and one which I forgot it was like it was smaller CPU cycles, but uh, was supposed to be faster. It's no more, it does not exist anymore with a funky name. I forgot. It was not AMD and was not Intel, but it was. Uh, Cyrix? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like this. And uh, yeah, interesting. So and then you did C++. You were object-oriented uh, fanboy, 
And then yes, I was. <laughs> and then uh, how you bumped into Java? Oh, that was actually so. I was hearing about Java a lot, and I even took university course about Java. But that was like, and I was only mostly having fun with that. I never expected anyone would use that, you know, on production for doing anything real. I was learning. Hearing about, uh, okay, I was even doing some Java applets. I was uh, trying to hack Java, for instance. I, I still remember, like, uh, my failure that I wanted to do. Uh, you know the windows. If you write them with, uh, if you if you display a window with uh, on the screen with windows, you have an API to make it, like, partially transparent or even window to be, like, circular, so really that that the, doesn't really cover the all rectangular, but it can cover any area. There is a special a, API in Windows for do, doing that. Programs don't do that anymore, but they were like, I don't know, 10 years or 20 years ago, a lot of people were doing that just for fun. Mm -hmm. And I was like disappointed. I can't do that in Java because there is no access to this low-level stuff. Uh, but nevertheless, I was trying. I, I remember remember the moment I got access to something called Forte for Java. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like the, mm -hmm. yeah, 44J, it was like the, let's say, commercial NetBeans. At that time, I never heard about NetBeans, but it was like uh, my first, let's say, good experiences with swing programming. And actually, I was uh, that. Uh, I, I do remember the moment when I decided to write something funny with that because I realized there is uh, one thing about Java that oh, no, I don't have with other stuff. Uh, the compiler, the tools... And all of that is for free, and I can use it without paying for that. So that was like a big pain for C++, uh, where the, the most amazing, uh, let's say, compilers for me and IDEs were uh, at that time costing an incredible amount of money. For instance, I was a big fan of Borland C++, but as a student, okay, <laughs> let's say, uh, I could only had uh, at that time, like, let's say, um, in Poland, there were a problem with uh, with low with um, uh, how to call it this uh, actually legal stuff about owning a program and selling that was all not really solved. But we knew that we cannot do anything uh, commercial with uh, mm -hmm. with Boran C plus plus, even though though we do we see this program is cool. And then with a group of colleagues, we decided. I will do something with Java because at least we can publish it and we can we can have something legally working. So that was really uh, something that that uh, we did uh, one funny program with that. And I still remember that was my first big big project with uh, Java. That was remote laboratory. It was for university, so that the students were able using applets to connect to the real physical laboratory, which had a server and uh, connect electronical device, electrical actually, don't call it electronics, that was electrical devices uh, to perform some measurements and basically do their, do their lab work at home, from home. This but really connecting, cool. connecting to the... Yeah, actually, would you, re <laughs> would you believe that we were using Corbader from Java? Yeah, of course. But, <laughs> I did. I did similar thing, but for commercial, there was a huge company who who wanted you know to control remote uh, plants um, from from Germany using back then of course Corba. So we use VisiBroker and Orbix. I remember there are different uh, commercial Corba and Jack Orb, 
uh, different uh, Corba implementations. It was also one of my first uh, Corba project, but it was distributed one. Um, what, what, uh, one question just. Uh, you never worked with Linux back then? Because um, I started actually, I saw briefly Windows 95, and I said, oh, this is actually uh, crap. So uh, I stick with Linux uh, as as much as possible in in on my on my private machines, and uh, at school I had HPUX uh, the university. You never ne because my compilers C plus plus compilers C plus plus and GCC were always free. Yeah. So yes, uh, actually, I had, exactly at that time of this remote laboratory, I was already like using Linux a lot. Okay. Uh, so typically, you know, I was uh, even uh, quite often on this kind of a dual boot. But the point is about graphical programs. So I, I again, the GCC, yes. But the, and I was even using GCC. By the way, I was even also using an university HP UX. Uh, so that's 10, 20 version. I still remember um, because I had to patch a lot of things there. Uh, but the, the thing is that uh, there was always a problem. And even now, it's not that funny. Okay, there is a much better but writing user interfaces. In yeah, you C++. are right. Okay, user interface, I completely get it. So I will always stick with the server, but user interfaces, you write. This is in Linux. It was not standard way to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like right now there is this Qt library that basically at least is usable and some people are even really, uh, let's say, uh, satisfied with it. But at that time, there were like a lot of better free things, but nothing really sensible, even remotely okay. close to the things that was like uh, Borland Builder Delphi or or even Microsoft Visual yeah, offering. Cool. So you've wrote the uh, nice uh, Corba system for remote controlling your lab. And uh, yeah. what happened then? So you, you then say, okay, Java is the best, right? Um, actually, no. I was like thinking, <laughs> no, no, no one really, that is just a joke. Uh, that must really go away, and uh, that's uh, oh, I would I was really at that time starting to do commercial stuff, and for me, like doing any sensible commercial server was yeah, everybody would only use that for C plus uh, do that with C plus plus. No one would use Java for that. When I was basically ending my university, and I was looking for a job. And then I got accidentally job offer, and that was like the most, uh, let's say, profitable out of uh, like a few, and uh, they're actually very easy to get. And that was in Java. And I said, ah, okay, I I don't really like the language, and and I think it's completely horrible idea to write servers in Java, but <laughs> I will give it a try. But uh -huh. you know, it sounds funny today. That was a year two thousand. Mm -hmm. And that was Java, uh, like, it was like switch exactly at the moment. There was a switch from Java 1.2 to Java 1.3. Mm -hmm. uh, computers, I, I still remember my computer. I get my, my first job. It was like, I don't know, having 16, mega, 16 megabytes of RAM or something like that. Absolutely, you know, uh, not usable for Java and all that stuff. Uh, so I can only tell that uh, at home I had always computers with way more memory to support Java programming, but nevertheless, that was like, at that time, Java was looking at it as a joke, uh, especially compared to C++. If you, for no generics, I, do you remember how going through a vector was in Java 1.3? Yeah, like of course. Enumeration, get element, next element, is instance of string. Yeah, it's instance of string. Then uh, you you were lucky. You were lucky. I started actually <laughs> with Java before collections were in place. So the first question was, you know, which collection library should we use? 
And the questions right now about frameworks or uh, th- or or, or uh, libraries, external libraries, were back then. You know, which collection library should we choose? And there were like three different commercial, and then the vector and the stuff came with Java, which basically killed the co- commercial libraries. Yeah. Okay. So I I hated vector very, very quickly because exactly that was the switch to Java 1.3, and that was. Actually, first time when there was a like array list and stuff like that appearing, but my colleagues were stuck with vector, and I really that was like we are struggling. Yeah, because I still find vectors and see vectors and hash tables uh, during yeah. my code code reviews. They are still very popular. <laughs> yeah, still, I sometimes find them. Like this month, I was actually shocked when I've seen. Yeah, that was already last month because this was June. Mm-hmm. I found hash table code, and it was like. Why? What? What is even going on here? But okay, happens. Cool. So, what you did in the first first project? This was in the, uh, around two thousand. So, which server you built? Uh, so basically, okay, that was like internet agency. You know the horrible things where people are building very simple, like uh, uh, how to say, it, or even content management systems yeah. uh, for so. And that was like uh, when it comes to. Uh, from business perspective, it was all very, uh, not really advanced stuff. And people do that right now in PHP, which I would say PHP fits to that much better than with the Java we used at that time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we were doing that. And I was like basically fighting all the time with my colleagues, uh, who most of them, because that wasn't really sophisticated. The first job I had, like a first year, uh, wasn't commercial. Wasn't really sophisticated company. All my colleagues were converted JavaScript developers. And at that time, JavaScript was even worse. Okay. That was like, this is a long story. I don't want to repeat that, but basically someone, I think mixed uh, what the JavaScript and Java is. And at that time, even I had like doubts. What the hell is that? So I, I no wonder that HR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds funny, but at that time, really, I would be able as a boss to make this mistake. Yeah, so I realized that you you are exactly right. Why why I'm laughing back back then because I had to do some JavaScript on the client, but back then it was really you shouldn't admit that you know JavaScript because JavaScript was like you know admitting that you are like a Visual Basic programmer or some you know programmer without having any clues. So JavaScript was the worst possible admission you could you could make in a commercial you know environment someone you, know, you are doing javascript you are stupid you you have only you know ultra thin clients there should be no logic on the client and everything should be in java on the server right yeah so but nevertheless this this first uh, job was really like uh that was really toxic from a programming point of view i can only <laughs> tell you that the moment i joined the the for instance i've seen all the possible things like Every project had incredible amounts of SQL injections, even on the login screen, because the code was mostly written in JSP. And there were even like projects which only had JSP and not a single class. And even JSP is without any in-class. It means that all the functions you needed, they were copied all the time. And people were even afraid to... uh, uh, reuse code of the colleagues because it's constantly changing and it will break. Of course, no tests. Uh, back then, I, did, I, I even had uh, no concept that I would be able to write tests uh, during my normal work. So that wasn't a big surprise, but nevertheless, it shows what we are doing. And 
the best thing that I realized my colleagues from, let's say, JavaScript world, when they were struggling with Java, they invented a couple of patterns and it was impossible to convince them that they are not perfect patterns. <laughs> like, like pattern like were just basically hash type oriented programming means that every function, every method always gets one argument, which is hash type hash table and this hash table contains everything and you can put everything to that like user request whatever you need later even in a persistence layer and basically all the methods were having one uh, big input which was hash table like one argument and then no one even needed any return because if you wanted to return something you could add it to this hash table and everyone would be happy that yeah. was so awesome. Yeah, but uh, your your JavaScript colleagues were better than my enterprise architects. In one project, they decided we need decoupling. So everything was an interface execute with object in and object out. And you have to, to implement the interface and provide a factory which creates implementation of the interface. The problem was, of course, in the implementation of the interface, you had exactly know, you know what's going in and what's going out. So you have to hardcast everything. So nothing was actually replaceable. There was a tons of enterprise code which were completely pointless and no one knew you know why they are doing this except uh, one architect and no one questioned that and and if i saw it, it's like you are you crazy i mean how you spend so much time writing code without any function and they deleted it afterwards but uh the pattern of javascript at least you know hash tables so i had just objects so um and this was a huge uh, huge project created by you know enterprise consultants so I can only tell that I, I've seen this pattern because that was the hash table oriented programming wasn't the only pattern. Exactly. <laughs> I had this pattern. If you exactly in this company, I've seen it by, it was actually done by a little bit smarter guys, which had some, who had uh, like two of them who had some better background. And that was exactly object oriented programming, as I called it, because exactly you get, you pass object, you get objects, and then you do like a big is, is instance of, and you are done. Yeah, that was really exactly. fun time. Exactly. So there's like, you know, the bad patterns uh, spreading all around the world. Okay, Actually, cool. I, I'm, I, I'm thinking about writing a big blog post about all those patterns because they are still slowly being forgotten. And after a year, I switched to the normal company when I started to do a normal work. <laughs> was it in Poland still? The, the, the... Yeah, well, it was, it was in Poland, but I was working with a German customer from uh, Mainz. Okay. So I was traveling to, to Mainz. And that was like, uh, let's say, first... Uh, quite normal job with everything in place but nevertheless i don't regret my first funny job job because i learned there like everything even if you know and bad examples but i learned cool. so it's it too and the next job so that it was like a normal like at that time i accepted that i probably the java will not disappear <laughs> and it's, if you do that with uh, normal people it's not that bad Actually, and it's even, uh, I was even, uh, I become, becoming, I actually, I became a Java um, advocate a little bit, let's say, among colleagues at that time, because uh, people have, were having a lot of misconception, for instance, how that Java is interpreted language. You probably still remember that. Yeah, yeah. That Java is slow. And even though I was very skeptic about Java, I started to fight with that because, you know, uh, having this misconception doesn't really help you at, at all so that's uh, that's how i learned a lot about internals uh, slowly and yeah that's that's and then and then and really i guess and by the way we were working with something called jserv ah, very good yeah this was apache yeah. servlet engine right 
Yeah, yeah, that's later, a little bit like, uh, okay, that wasn't really replaced. Okay, it was replaced by Catalina Tomka. And I was also working uh, for a brief moment with WebSphere 1. I thought that that time it was just WebSphere, but nevertheless, that was that was horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you remember Jigsaw? This was the subred container from Apache. Jigsaw, yeah. Jigsaw, uh, Jigsaw, that's that sounds... Yeah, no. but JSurf and Jigsaw, for unknown reasons, they were like two servlet engines and Apache and the JSurf. I, 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 I think, was uh, native, and yes. and Jigsaw was more more like half Java. So I I, I uh, actually tested both, but then Java Web Server came 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 out from Sun, so I stick with it, and for unknown reasons, the WebSphere one was announced in Germany in Cebit, so I, I worked there. And it looked exactly the same like Java Web Server. So it appeared to me like IBM licensed the Java Web Server the very first time and they just you know, rebranded it, they changed the color and, and sold it you know, with 10x price, really. So I remember the, the first version of Web Server was like 5K uh, German, uh, not German, uh, Deutschmarks, exactly. And, <laughs> and, the, and the Java Web Server was uh, 400 bucks or something like this because I bought it. Uh, it was the first installation, I think, even in Germany. So cool, so you did some JSEP work. Cool. And okay. uh, what was it? CMS again? Uh, no, no, this time that was okay. That is a complex story. That's, uh, okay, you are asking about JSEP or the next thing? The next thing. The, what do you Okay, build? after JSEP, we were using in this company. And then I even uh, convinced company, you know, this first funny to move to Catalina, actually, and all that stuff. So we started with the uh, ending that was Catalina 3. I still remember a lot of bugs, but at least behaving better than JSEF. And then I switched to other company, and then that's actually the company where we're having resin. Do you remember that? Yeah. Resin. Yeah. Resin was Couch. one of the best, Couch or Resin was one of the best application server I knew. So Reza Rahman started yeah. at the company Resin. And this was like, you know, alien, because they were really fast, very thin, and they were straight to the point. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. indeed. And so... Uh, that was actually, you know, at that time already it was like quite well standardized. So you could uh, actually, when it comes to web server, you could switch from one to another with not a big pain. Yeah. yeah. So re- switching to resin was uh, absolutely no pain, and I really admired that it was so quick. So it was really nice. And but but the company was doing, I should say, uh, some stuff from for banking systems that was like connection between. Uh, ERP system, banking systems, and Volnungsunternehmen. Uh, <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> housing companies. But yeah. nevertheless, that was like a B2B kind of application where people like invoicing others and and ordering some stuff, then um, making invoices, uh, and then they were getting money automatically, like all that stuff. And basically, that was like a front end from, for, for uh, ERP and banking systems in uh-huh. Java. When was it? Which year? Oh, that was like from 2002, I think. And actually, I spent in this company a lot of years till 2008, I think, where we basically were doing more and more stuff on some systems and replacing this web with uh, finally Java EJB3. I still remember this slow switch that we are gradually uh, rewriting the code uh, uh-huh. to EJB3. Okay, to, yeah. And I was like one of the biggest advocates why we should do that, why we should, for instance, replace persistence layer written on, oh, I still remember toppling and then 
Then we had some handwritten JDBCs that we were, I proposed to rewrite to hibernate, and we did that. So that was like, but that was like a huge software composed of the, you know, the something that people would right now would call monolith, but it wasn't a monolith at all because it was like one big piece of software composed of like more like Frankenstein monster and Frankenstein's monster yes. composed of completely different pieces of code that do not fit to each other written with different by different teams by in different technologies and only accidentally you know composed to one uh, web application and later to I think JBoss application I don't remember that was probably JBoss I was like big fan of JBoss that time but we were doing also other stuff with WebLogic and so this, this company was doing some uh, interesting system for me that was a great school of writing enterprise in non-toxic actually that was really important in cool. non-toxic environment was it in Poland? yeah it was still in Poland but I mostly worked with exactly Mainz and sometimes with Munich so with German Okay, Mark, which which, which companies were it? Can you tell which companies were it? So just names? Uh, I can I can tell. I think because I'm still I I cannot say bad words about those companies. They still exist. So one was Marion, which was, which is associated with Ariel Bank. Okay. And second was a Conject. I think still they exist. It's in Munich, and this is, uh, yeah. And they were doing like B two B stuff. Uh, okay. Cool. Project. Uh, yeah. Okay. What happened then after two thousand and eight? Oh, then I like uh, switched. Uh, that was uh, you wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I switched uh, job because we have some. We had some problems in this company in the Polish dev de department only. Um, we tried to be independent, but it basically failed. Uh, and I was looking slowly for a job, and I get this offer that you know everyone would do that. Someone needed to write a game, and I decided, oh my god, I wanted to write a game lot of times and let's do that and uh, so for a brief moment i was writing a game 3d game in java with cool. jmonkey engine wow. <laughs> and the j and the j boss you <laughs> and the j boss on the back end and the game i can even still try it but basically that was like connected to some advertisement cam campaign to to some uh, big company and that was exactly the year of crisis so they stopped everything we ended having a game, uh, but basically no customer because it was written for just one action. Well, it, it wasn't a very even complex game, just something simple, uh, but it was a good school of programming. And then we, uh, we were doing some other stuff, but basically because we, because we had a lot of access to graphic designers, we slowly started to do cartoons in this company and decided I wanted to be a software developer, not, a, you know, having a company, writing advert videos, making videos and stuff like that, only sometimes supporting other video games companies from doing some models. So I switched job and I joined Cap Capgemini, actually, quickly. So hey. it was like... Interesting. Yeah. So you worked for Capgemini. I didn't, never knew it. So I worked. Actually, I still have good connections for, to Capgemini. And it's like, uh, uh, so yeah, simply I worked in, in Poland, but I worked with uh, with Frankfurt, uh, like Offenbach and uh, and Munich department. So it was like, okay. uh, I spent uh, like three years 
I had a good fight with Cap Gemini Architects. So <laughs> still, 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 still fighting right now. Uh, but they are. Re- I had a really, you know, legendary fight. <laughs> yeah, Gemini. this is like in one project they really like interfaces for no reasons, and I try to remove them, and they you know, escalate everything. It's like Adam but... Bean thinks monolithically; he hates interfaces, and I write back. So st- uh, right I, I now do... I have some fights. So this is actually interesting. I I do remember watching your talk. I think I was like, I don't know, 33rd degree or something about that who needs those interfaces. At that time I was working for Capgemini <laughs> and a few of my colleagues were watching that and, you know, that was very convincing one. That was like, you know, opening eyes. So, probably you are that, at that time exactly fighting with that. So, that really helped us in this fight against, uh, let's say, over-engineering. Yeah, cool. Uh, thank you. So, uh, okay. So, now, Capgemini are you still for at Cap Gemini? No. So no, no, no. I moved to Switzerland mostly for I like the company, even though because you know there are some architects like in every big company, but incredible amount of good people, even uh, very good architects that you can learn from. And actually, I still having a good contacts, and I like those people. But for family reasons and stuff like that, I decided basically to to move to Switzerland. Actually, I wanted to go to Italy, but it didn't work. So to Switzerland, and right now, right now I'm still here working for like I, I work for a company called Ingenious right now. This is about that actually makes me kind of a freelancer uh, almost. So basically, I do stuff for other customers. We are just having umbrella. So, contracts and everything. so you are like basically consulted, right? So to some, to some yeah. everything. So you started, you know, with the JSurf, Apache, and Chixo. They want uh, the enterprise route. Spend some time in project consulting with Cap Gemini, and now you are in Switzerland and ingenious, and you are working as a firefighter consultant for different companies, right? <laughs> How do you know that firefighter? Well, yes. <laughs> no, I just uh, from your background experience, I would assume that you are doing this as well. Okay, not I'm not always firefighting, but uh, actually that's first something I like, and that actually happens. Yeah, exactly. So. This is what I also I like, and I do it also a lot. But why we are talking is, I noticed you in several of my talks, and uh, what uh, why I noticed you because I I I, I actually um, delivered some talks about microservices, and uh, you you ask uh, during my talks because I like you know questions. Uh, smart questions, but they are like, you know, nice questions and smart. And I answer the questions and you say, okay, I get it. And uh, and you are happy. And, and and I saw you over and over again. And what I remember, T-shirt, no SQL, right? Or, or database yeah. with no SQL? Drop database. Drop, uh, drop, database. D- drop database, exactly. This, why, why I remember you. And you looked for me like a knight. So you looked, you had something from leather. Right, so you're a big guy, so you really so and uh, like uh, metrics or night or something. Now I would like to to ask you a personal question: uh, Why is your look and feel that? So why the night look and feel or whatever you call it or night? Mm, not really. I I like rather call myself like the outfit I'm using for in my few of my talks is more like like wizard, but basically wizard. Yeah, exactly, no... wizard as well. Wizard. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Why night? Because but you're a big guy, you know. You're a big guy, long hair. So I'm not you... really that okay. No, I'm not. I'm big, you know, in in, you know, in the size of <laughs> wide, but not tall. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's like. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, uh, that's the, the thing uh, I decided to do to be, I, I just tell you honestly, to be recognizable so that people remember me. 
and that works really. Yeah. People are asking who was that in this uh, 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 cape uh, of a wizard with this hood, and that was me. And they sometimes even I can tell you they told me they invited me to conference because some people asked that they wanted a wizard. No, no matter <laughs> what's actually he's. Oh, cool! Talking. That 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 I should know. St- it should start, you know, with a dwarf. <laughs> uh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you know. Rock stars used that for years, like they have a special style, and I decided ex- exactly why not we, like developer advocates, like people, we want to be recognized by something. So choose something that fits you and do it, because it's like additional, you know, fun. For me, it's all, all, also a lot of fun. And basically, I also dress like that for, to work sometimes, so it's additional fun, especially when you work in some bank or whatever, and you know they have this crazy outfits <laughs> yeah but uh yeah this is cool hack the system exactly with your outfit in a bank it will perfect yeah I, one one day i heard really lady screaming because i was leaving the office very late and it was why was one of the you know uh, the already everything was darkened and i was in my hood and, uh, and then a lady appeared on the end of the corridor seen me <laughs> and that was like a big scream <laughs> but then she started laughing so it was not not that bad yeah and you were for me a big mystery because i assumed your outfit indicates like some some connections to black metal or whatever but uh, your t-shirts, like if if you were black metal, usually I would expect you know some kind of t-shirt with skulls and demons or whatever. But there are no demons in place, and you were too nice for a black cult. It's like you are real. Uh, I have to ask you about that. Why is so a nice guy? You know, it looks like and and I never saw you standing because you always sit. You know, I was the speaker and you ask me questions, and and you sit there. And from if from a civics perspective, you look to me like a huge guy. Um, this uh, is why, 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 why I'm asking you that. So, and maybe, uh, I, yeah, maybe I was standing, but you assumed I was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, this was really uh, we had nice conversations, and uh, and and one time you said to me, you know, what about not using Java? E? And I say, okay, I mean, for me, it's the simplest possible thing. If I will not use Java, e, what I was then. And you, and, you, and you told me nothing. You can just go with Java SE. And this is, of course, what I really would like to do is not to drop all the frameworks, regardless this is Java E or whatever, and just go with Java SE. So okay. I, I remember we had the chat with, uh, at, you say, injection. I don't like injection. No one knows what's going on with the at inject. And uh, you say, okay, what is the alternative? And you said okay. you can do it easily with Java. So now, if you can, what was your concept getting rid of get rid of all the frameworks, Java E and whatever, and just replacing them with nothing. So what was the idea behind it? I had no time, you know, to have deeper conversation with you back then. So, um, okay. yeah. But okay, first, I think there's a um, like misunderstanding because you took my point a little bit too far. So uh, I am i don't say just plain Java SE, but I say nothing special for injections. Basically, I don't, I don't, I'm actually using this concept for a couple of years right now. I don't need anything special for injections. I basically, I don't need any container injections. What I'm using is dependency injection and Java already has a, let's say, perfect thing of, of, uh, let's say, construct for that. Like every object oriented programming uh, language has that. This is a constructor. It really works always. And, uh, but that's it simply. And I even like, like yesterday I had a talk about it. Why that? Because first is why would you 
need this big machinery for solving a simple problem that can be actually solved without it. And second, this machinery doesn't work well. That's the biggest problem. If this machinery was working well, like Java E, CDI, I mean, EJB, CDI, even Spring, I would have no big problem with that. But they fail a lot. And they actually, when I'm helping a company, I see a lot of problems. And now I can tell you, I know how this machinery works. For me, it's not a big mystery. I sometimes do not know what the program will do, but mostly it's not about dependency injection, which is which mostly with aspects uh, where there are like crazy things sometimes happening. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's uh, just uh, uh, rarely, but mostly I can uh, quickly find out what's going on. Mysteries happen not as often. But as I see, people completely don't understand that. Like I would say, even people that like Spring or like Java E, uh, they seem to be advocating for that. My experience is that most of them have absolutely no clue how it works and they fall into a traps. And for years, I was thinking, the reason to solve that is to educate them. Uh, to I was really proposing books. You, if you use that, like JSF, that was like the most horrible thing I know in this world. Like, read this book and you will not be doing these stupid mistakes anymore. But then I realized it's futile. I basically knew only a couple, learned couple of people that are reading the books, including myself and you, I assume, <laughs> from your talks. You are reading, but regular developers just just uh, do a lot of try and errors. And after that, what happens in this program is that they are just working accidentally. You move two lines and everything falls apart. And exactly. Then what, and yeah, you are right. No one, no one reads. This is also my, for unknown reasons, this is just, you know, and sometimes I've read, you know, five pages tutorial about something for a commercial company and, and happens no one reads that. So I, um, yeah, you are absolutely right. So this is actually striking because I really like to read uh, books and uh, blog posts and whatever, and I learned a lot from 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 everywhere actually always. So you always a small thing, you know, where you can say this is actually a good idea. But if we are not reading and just copying, then then I always say no. Uh, and as you said, uh, 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 how to call it, a uh, bad feeling that I'm it works somehow, but I have no idea how. And uh, usually it means trouble in long term. So I'm with you on that. Yes, by the way. Probably you are the same guy as me. Like, if you having like, you know, something doesn't work mysteriously, and then you swap the lines and it starts to work, do you leave it like that? And you, because maybe, maybe you do the commit and push to server because that fixes like big productive issue. But after that, I spend a day or two till I find out this is because there is in this specification, this line, which exactly explains why it happened. I don't like to have like mysteries in the past because they will, they will come back anyhow. But people are not doing that. They're just, oh, it started to work. Great. Why, why dig, uh, going deeper? Just put it, push into production. Don't worry. Problem solved. Yeah. That's, and that's the basically my idea is how people work with, uh, frameworks like Java E and Spring where a lot of things actually, they are like 99% of things that, okay, 95, let's say it's, Everything is, can be explained and is explained in documentation. 5% are, let's say, sometimes bugs in a version of server or something like that. It happens. There are, especially, for instance, some JPA implementations are really buggy. And there are like, uh, you know, I don't know, but there is not, not much mysteries. But for people, there are a lot of them because they don't go to the documentation and just they're happily doing try and error. And then... 
Then there is a mess that sometimes I have to clean up. Yeah, and, I, but I think these people don't like programming. No, that's 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 my that's the problem because some of them that's that's the biggest thing. Some of them uh, are proud of being hackers. Some of them have like 15 years of experience, you know, like uh, even more. And then I I don't even know what to think about. And some of them are really productive. The only problem is that you know they are productive, but they leave you know ashes behind. But the thing works in production <laughs> for some time. Yeah. Um. So um. Rick. So I have similar experience to yours, and uh, the problem is consultants like us sometimes external consultants. So um, as I assuming you are don't, not doing this, so you are uh, I would say similar age to my because assuming you're C sixty four and set expector and so forth. But uh, what I see a lot is like external co- consultant you know comes in to a Java E project and shows off and you know tries to use as many annotations and concept Java E concept as possible without any relation to the business logic. So what they are leaving is, you know, like 500,000 annotations and uh, one class which talks to a database. And if I see this, I mean, like, why, what is going on? I, I, I really don't get it. So, I mean, because, you know, this is like complete over-engineering. It's not over-engineering, it's complete cargo cult. And, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, there's actually nothing behind. And um, in my projects, if I have the power, you know, to decide, you would be only allow to use add inject without private field and nothing else. No qualifiers, no alternatives, no defaults, nothing, because you don't need them in the usual project. And then my approach is very similar to yours, except I write a little bit less code because I don't have the constructors. If I have, you know, <laughs> yeah, three fields, I have three three times add inject and no constructor. Uh, I actually prohibit constructors really uh, last <laughs> last week. Oh, well, I delivered. Uh, yeah, yeah. We both we we both in one project. It would be a huge mess, I guess. So I let them delete all the constructors because there's too much code. Just go with at inject and then unit test. If the injection is not private, like rather than package package private, I let you know to to inject the fields directly. You know what I mean? Because the unit test and the uh, product uh, production class are in the same package. You can easily mock out whatever you like. Okay. The thing is, my question, do you have the post construct sometimes? Sometimes, but in the rare cases. <laughs> in, in, in business... <laughs> this is, for me, post construct is the most insane annotation. Okay, no, no, it's not the most insane, but one of the most, because what does it say? We have a constructor which doesn't really construct because one of the things, okay, one of the things, uh, let's say, behavior of a good API is that if you have a method that's public, that's accessible for you, doesn't have to be public, can be packaged, but it's accessible, you can basically call it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a post-construct, it means that you have some constructor, which by the, in this case mostly is a default one, and after this construction, you have object that it's not really usable. It's usable only if, if the post-construct will work, and basically, by the way, the most crazy things I've found so far uh, well, mostly in post-construct because uh, I, uh, the, actually the state of the object there is quite crazy when you look at the... Sometimes I would say even it's not very specified, but you think what's already injected, what's the state of other beans, what can you, what can you uh, assume there? there are, I see a lot of uh, people actually swapping those lines and fighting where fighting exactly in post-construct. But yeah, but me, post-constru- is- post-construct means actually that the... Uh- that everything which can be injected has to be injected, otherwise it wouldn't be called. So this works pretty well. 
Yeah, but I, I don't really remember right now the last case when I've seen post-construct, but I do remember, but I was trying to find out what was the auto doing of this code. And exactly, uh, that was, that's not mystery. He wasn't, he didn't know what he was doing. But even I had, having some experience, had problems to understand what's, what is the state in this moment. But, but I don't really remember right now the exact case. It was some time ago. I haven't, so I wouldn't recall that. But it's it's really not that clean. Of course, everything is injected, but there is like I I don't really remember the the, the real problem right now. Uh, but that was like appearing. But nevertheless, for me, the biggest problem is that I completely don't understand the whole concept. Okay, I understand the concept of inject, but I don't really see uh, it's uh, saving a work. I see it's really making a lot of problems. Actually, you mostly with the second thing with aspects, but. Uh, basically, for me, uh, I having this code, and I already like rewritten a couple of systems. But by the way, not from like no Java E to absolutely no Java E, or not from Spring to absolutely okay. This the second thing happened, but from Spring <laughs> to absolutely no Spring at all. But what I did, uh, and actually that wasn't even my my idea, was cleaning the system so that you have these injections on the only on the facade level, like controller Jack CRS controllers. They are. They are like they are called by the server, but everything that starts from there, like you even inject persistence controller to the persistence uh, context, entity manager to the controller, but you don't use it there, but you only get access from the from the from the server, and then everything that uh, happens behind is written in a completely separate project, but doesn't even touch Java E at all. It's just uh, access using okay. It's it's accessing actually entity manager or hybrid session or something like that, uh, and of course a lot of stuff. It has layers where like services, like all that stuff. But it's all written without inject, without aspects. If you have a transaction, you have a special for that call doing transaction and stuff like that. And what what was like the outcome of that? These codes, these, these projects were incredibly well uh, testable because the, the part that has to be tested, this clean part, we can, we could really start it, do a test with real database quickly without any problem. And that was way quicker than, for instance, you know, doing with something with Archelian or I don't know, starting. No, Archelian, Archelian, but... Archelian is, uh, is, is not needed in most projects. So I, I, I do well, almost, almost the same what you are doing. With injection, so this is the, the the funny funny things. It's not like what you are saying. I'm absolutely with you. So I do exactly the same code, but we don't have uh, constructors, and we in rare cases we only have post construct. This is really rare because the most developers don't even know that it exists. <laughs> so in my project, it's not even post construct, and the entity manager is injected with persistence context. But in unit test, we do. Persistence create entity manager factory create entity manager and we fetch another one and just set it. So this is we ne I never use Archelian because it's too complex, and we don't and too use slow. Yeah, it's uh, slow and complex, and it it does tests the application server which I don't care about. I would like to test my code, so this is completely out of scope. So um, what you are saying is is absolutely right. So what's funny is you have you know similar mission to my with complete different tools and techniques. This is the interesting part. Yeah, but, but the point is, I can tell you where, for instance, what's, what's the problem with this? Okay. I just say inject is for me and dependency injection with a container is something that I don't see I need. But, uh, even there are like great talks from Tamar Gabel. For instance, last year he was like slaying sacred cows and uh, inversion of control dependency injection. There is such talks. I can recommend you because uh, 
he's talking basically has the same observation. Who would even need that? But I don't. I want to go go into the details of that. This is like a, you know, I can I, I wouldn't be able. I wouldn't even try to convince anyone uh, for that quickly in one talk. I just uh, because dependency injection is just. Some people think they need it. Some people uh, just learn it like a cargo cult and everything. But the problem, the real problem are aspects. Because mostly when you are injecting, because you are expecting that you inject something which is a bean, which has all those aspects connected to them, like transactional, like security uh, and, and stuff like that. And the point is that, and maybe I am very unlucky, but in a lot of projects that I, I was joining, that I was trying to recover or, or analyze or even add feature, I realized that there are like big problems with this uh, annotations and b b b context. Like for instance, transactional is my like favorite one. Uh, like two years ago, I found a project in a bank that was uh, one and a half year on production where transactional wasn't working at all. Because they use so this? Everything, <laughs> uh, reason of that, it's really crazy, but it's, you, it's, it's great. That was like the, that was like a mystery. I, by the way, I really, because I was adding a feature with some, you know, stupid mutex on database because we didn't have access to anything else. And that was a project in spring. Uh, but, but the project first, uh, was expected to be delivered on uh, WebSphere. But the, the team this, didn't want a WebSphere. So they prepared for Tomcat and they got, got, and they got some like promise that one day they will be able to switch to Tomcat. So they did everything in Spring. You can do that. You can do Spring as a web application deploy on WebSphere just as a web application. It works. But for that, they used CDI annotations. Which, you know, has this inject, has as well transactional from CDI. And if you look to the specification of Spring, they clearly say they support CDI. Of course they support. So transactional would work, but there is one catch to that. So if you deploy to WebSphere, that was the original thing. You cannot, you shouldn't deploy CDI API jar, which has this transactional because it would conflict with WebSphere, of course. So you cannot with your, VAR with your WAR application, you cannot deploy this jar because as you, as you cannot deploy servlet API or whatever. Yeah. You understand? Yeah, of course. So, so they were, so for WebSphere, that was okay. But when they, when they, they switched to Tomcat, they still didn't have this jar. The point is Tomcat doesn't have it either. So in Tomcat, so what was happening, the application was compiling, by the way, they were, they, it had tons of tests. Tests were green. And that was starting on Tomcat, but Tomcat didn't have this transactional, this jar with transactional. And you know what JVM does when it loads application, loads class, which has annotation, which is not accessible because class is not found. This is, this was something that I've completely forgotten. And I learned it a year ago, two years ago. Actually, JVM in specification says you just Skip that. If it's annotation, even if it's runtime annotation, you just silently ignore that. So the, the classes from the JVM perspective were loaded with no annotation at all. That was actually something finally I found during debugging. It's like I'm looking at the method. Why the transactional context is not started? And I see, oh, the method, if I go for in reflection to annotation, has nothing. How can that be? And then there's like, yeah, JVM spec says 
If it's annotation, you don't get an error. But by the way, I would expect that. It's just ignored. Funny coincidence. I would also expect that, I have to say. I'm, I'm actually surprised because... Uh, yeah, I was surprised. But you know, at the moment, annotations were uh, like, you know, 2005. That when they were like um, uh, proposed, when they, the Java 5 uh, came, this was actually part of uh, advocating for annotations, that if, you, if it's something, you know, it's not uh, there, then you don't get error, like mm -hmm. in comment. Yeah. So it was, and, and then we've completely forgotten about it. But coincidences, afterwards, there was an application, 18 months, exactly, I think at this moment, 18 months almost <laughs> on production without, <laughs> with everything on auto commit. Which is like wow. Yeah. Basically, they had a lot of luck because the yeah. But data... but but what what you learned is actually you, your your development environment should be not that different from production environment. This was the problem. But that, uh, that by the way, now that, that time everything was uh, Tomcat and everything was switched. So there, there was like a Tomcat there and Tomcat on production, Tomcat on, on ah, okay. development. Okay, okay, okay. So the problem is like. Yeah, that's how to avoid this problem. Actually, it's very hard because uh, how to test that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost impossible. What I'm doing, for instance. Yeah, in, but in uh, Yarek, you are absolutely right. What are, what are you hearing here? You know, they wanted to have you know dependency injection from CDI without uh, having uh, Java E, and they used Tomcat to uh, to have a similar experience to Java E without having Java E. So it means they spent like too much time fighting with the infrastructure and, 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 and just not well, fo focusing no, no, on no. the business logic, you know? I wouldn't say that because, come on, they used just Spring. So it's basically, if you have Spring, you have this dependency injection starting with, you know, day zero exactly as in Java E. Absolutely no difference here. Yeah, but, but they use CDI dependency injection, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's supported by Spring. Yeah, why, no they, problem. why they didn't use, you know, the spring dependency injection? Uh, okay, no, no, S slowly. They, actually, they are mixing, but the uh, dependent they, but they wanted uh, the, now. Right now, they use and by they use uh, CDI because for a moment there was like a, it actually didn't happen. They were expecting that there might be that they will be going on a web sphere, but that was like you know political thing. And ah, before they were, I got it. Okay. Yeah. You know that start. This project was started a couple of years ago, but the, by the moment it went to production, already the the bank allowed Tomcat. Simple okay. like that. Okay. So it always, actually on production it was always with Tomcat. But the the team was doing actually in my eyes the correct thing. They were preparing for for both possibilities that maybe they will be allowed to go with WebSphere or maybe not. Mm -hmm. In such case, you basically want to do something that works on both, so you go with CDI. Or it's actually because my, they expected also that they might be forces to go with Java E stuff like. But you know, it's you never know. That was a company joining, uh, first time doing something as actually as external company for bank, and they were like, try, didn't didn't know what will be allowed. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, uh, got this, it. That's got it. Political thing, political thing. But come on, exactly for that CDI was created to to unify both worlds. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's even more like when actually I have a list when transactional cannot work. The most funny for me is that when you call a transactional method annotation, like especially it happens often with requires new from the same bin, you know, the self-call problem. Yeah, this so the dynamic work. proxy magic. And, you know, this is like how many people know how dynamic proxy works? I know how dynamic proxy works. And you know that I can fall as well into this trap because from time to time I'm just refactoring and I just don't see that, that it's now happening. I joined methods from two classes into one and right now I have self-call, but I'm not aware of. And, and then, you know, this is like a 
really big problem with all that magic because it is this is like leaking abstraction so you expect it works but it actually and actually doesn't and in order to make it work you have to know how it works internally and be careful like you, your code becomes slowly like a minefield which i should is a something that should only happen in php and javascript that every line of code can be dangerous but and in fact, unfortunately, it happens also this uh, Java E Spring uh, applications where uh, I even seen the funny things like private method because someone decided that the method will be private, but it had annotations and uh, no one noticed that, oh, from this moment, it will not work. Yeah. Uh, or some. So or, you're, you're right. You're right. So what happens recently to me, we had like, you know, JaxOS, which were facets. And they were not annotated at all for unknown reasons. They annotated, you know, the, the next level completely. So they liked EGB, so I don't know why. So all the classes were at stateless. So what it basically meant, exactly as your project, every public method started and committed a transaction, which uh, basically meant auto-commit, as in your case. So I had the, the, exactly the case recently. But uh, what I did is I okay, put, you know, stateless on facade and deleted all the other stateless, and this was like a small task. But... What would be fun, I would say, you have already prepared talk, if you like, uh, one day, I don't know, in autumn or next year, we could prepare and deliver a talk both, you know, you could, you could show first what doesn't work, and I try to defend, you know, Java E with my code on the fly, this could be fun, if you like, somewhere, I don't care where, where you know the... Okay, this maybe is... I come for us, okay, but there's like, actually, This you could know... be fun, because... Uh... Yeah, I actually have some invitation to some conferences we can do. Uh, like where, where I basically can deliver any talk, but I can use one of those spots uh, for exactly in Atom for, for, so we can discuss it. I, I or, or it could right be Java user group somewhere where it's reachable by plane. Right now I'm completely overworked, but this should be fun. So, you know, because uh, everyone will get something out of it. So at the end, they would at least, yeah. you know, understand a little bit dynamic proxy dependency injection that they can decide whether they drop away everything, which would be my favor. So if I can, I would just go with Java SE or or at the least possible no. amount of frameworks, you know? I know what so, I mean. So we can still use uh, a servlet container, whatever, but uh, if, uh, if, yeah. yeah. Just one thing, because I have like completely, let's say, alternatives. Maybe you've heard a rat pack or even I'm using something like recently mostly, which is called Spring Web Flux. Basically, this is the... Uh, web uh, functional web uh, for uh, which is a part functional part, part of Spring, which lets me to do any web uh, without uh, any magic. So any class path scanning, which is already also very, way faster. This is like alternative stack, but by, it means I'm not using anything. That, I'm not using just plain Java SE when I'm doing servers, I'm, but I'm using small libraries or tools which basically let me do REST. Uh, let's say rest mapping to my methods, but mm -hmm. apart from that, it's or I'm using persistent libraries, like for instance JOQ, which you surely know, yeah, yeah. which basically lets me do uh, persistence. But again, uh, this is I, I use them mostly as a as a library because I'm in in control. In fact, they never do any scanning on my class. They never I don't have to inherit from anything, and they absolutely do not. Uh, uh, make uh, any do not involve any changes in my like do not constrain my architecture at all because basically I'm always calling you and you are basically the the, the most let's say sharing when this is come closer to frameworks basically let I, I tell you Spring Web Flux that you will call 
uh, that when, uh, whenever someone asks for hello, you should have called this, this function and pa I pass you this function. But this is already way better than, for instance, you know, clasp of scanning servlet or whatever, whatever way basically I some, in one point I have to put something without, with default constructor, constructor because for instance, for me, it never happens right now that I have default constructors in such cases because I always can, I am always injecting something like injecting, uh, database persistence or something like that. But this is like, we can, we can show this or we can actually maybe constrain this to some, uh, more exact area, maybe because this is the wide thing. Yeah. yeah but. But uh, this could, yeah, this this could work. So what you could do, you know, just uh, what you don't like is uh, the dependency injection part. So uh, we both know, you know, the corner cases where it can be problematic. So and uh, we can just cover you this what doesn't work from your perspective the most. And I would just show with running code why it doesn't work or what can happen, and you can just proceed. And I will show some codes at the, the end. The audience will learn about a little bit about Java e and about your approach. I think this would be just win-win. It could be fun, actually. I never, yeah. I never delivered talk with someone else, but with you it could work because you can say whatever you like, and I will quote a little bit, and then we are done, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. By the way, I can tell you there is one thing, one exactly thing for which I would like to have dependency injection because it actually makes my code longer. This is a, I can really show you the codes with without with dependence okay dependency injection i'm using but i'm not using container for that but there's one thing that i wish container there's one bin that i'm constantly injecting in many of my classes like bin a class in my case but i'm injecting and i have to right now pass it to all the layers principle uh, no <laughs> time <laughs> time okay <laughs> because everything okay you know in the serious system you have to make in order to make it testable you have to Past the time somehow, yeah. and I will, I want to make it without any hacks that I have a like static time somewhere like fixed clock somewhere. I want to pass a clock as a as a dependency, and sometimes it happens in some system that I am passing this clock all the way down and up, and this is like oh that's the thing I would wish I had dependency injection for. <laughs> However, by the way, in Scala they solved this problem. So for, for parameters that you are passing, but you don't care that much and you, you don't want to see it actually in your API, you don't want to see it in your code mostly. You, you want to see that they are there. They have this infamous implicit. But by the way, it, I would call this implicit in Scala is still way better than, than injections from by the container, but that's a different story. Okay. Yeah. So to summarize what you don't like, you don't like inversion of control. You don't like the fact that uh, the container controls you. You would like to be in control, right? Uh, I don't like the fact that it constrains. Uh, you're right, but the reason for that, that actually is that it constrains my architecture and that it is dangerous, that it is leaking. So I have to be careful way more than I want at my age. I want to you know, code without fear that you know, small change by me or by my colleagues is breaking like important business uh, restrictions like security or transactions or things like that. Yeah. And, and the problem affects uh, Spring and Java e exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's because of the same reason, because, uh, because dynamic proxy has its problems. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, where people can find you on the internet? Do you have a blog or Twitter or GitHub? Uh, yeah, I have a Twitter, uh, Jarek mm -hmm. and then six zeros. 
Wow. Uh, it's for the black color. I don't know, like, uh, that's, let's say, the story in Jarek. And uh, that's exactly, uh, but I don't tweet that much. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really have a, nothing that a real blog. I'm actually blogging, but it's called microblog and it's only in Polish. It's part of a four programmers.net page, so the four programmers net page. Mm-hmm. There is one like Polish uh, forum for message board for programmers. And I am regularly posting their something, but, but actually only in Polish. That, that's the thing. Okay. So, yeah. And, but of, of course, I'm very active on conferences. I am a conference guy, so you will find me sooner or later there. Cool. So uh, send me the links if you can uh, per email, so I would put them to show notes. And in one, I don't know whether we managed to do this this year, but we can do even Java user group somewhere, which is reachable from Munich per, per airplane. Could be in Poland, it's perfect. Like, you know, Danzig, Krakow works well, Warsaw would work, or in Switzerland would also work. So, uh, or a conference, whatever. So we can submit something and uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's do that. Actually, I like, like fun stuff, but so far, I also never managed to do a talk with someone else. I actually already tried, but it. It's like, you know, when two busy people try to do a talk, it's always like uh, something together. It always, uh, it's always a little bit disaster. But finally, for instance, for me, it happened that I was doing a talk alone and that was a good talk. But because other guy actually helped me a lot in preparing that. So No, yeah. do, uh, I hate preparation. So with no preparation, what we should just do, you know, just agree on dependency injection and you will show something and I will try, you know, before we have the list. So you will say, okay, dependency injection aspects and so forth. And uh, I could say something. So this could be spontaneous conversation like now. This works the best. A preparation is too... I don't know. <laughs> I like actually to show the code. So like... Uh, yeah, you can. I have this, you can show, what, show the code. I will write the code. So Maybe, maybe. Because that's for, that's for me. I, I like to do something on the real stuff. Why, why can we just, let's say, uh, invent a small idea, like kind of service or a game. I actually like games. And do them like... Uh, uh, with uh, with Java E and in a, in a, let's say my way with uh, probably with Spring Web Flux, which is shouldn't be called Spring at all, but uh, and and functional approach that that would be something. Yeah, mm. but, but uh, no, no no time for preparation. So this will already die yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we should co- co- keep in mind. So just keep in mind if you have something, I okay. would just come in. We can discuss like 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 that or you know. Okay. But thank you, and I would like to invite you once more so we can talk more deeply. So now, without you know introductions or just about the concept, so why not you know next year or something? Invite you back if you enjoy that. I would really enjoy to have you back here. So I, I did enjoy that, but for for instance, I would propose that maybe next time with a little bit of code. I don't know because I, you are doing podcasts, but for me, it's like I like to present code. I like to present the ideas that you know people can compile and. So that would be for me. Maybe maybe I can write a blog post and then we can do it for, for that. I don't know. Something yeah. like to, to refer to something real. Yeah. So thank you. Okay. And uh, okay, enjoy then. the nice weather in Switzerland, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's perfect. I don't know how it's uh, in your place. Yeah, uh, Munich is uh, really hot. Oh, so <laughs> enjoy as well. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.